All right, Libby, have a great time. I'll I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about a thing. Just go enjoy yourself and come back safe. All right, see ya. Bye. Is is she gone? Yeah, I don't, I don't see her anymore. I think I think we're good. Okay, good. Uh, hey, 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 John. You know what it's you know what it's time for? The stupidest fucking thing we can think of. Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. As you may have guessed, uh, Libby is not here this week. She is off tending to her new home and getting that all set up. Uh, So in the meantime, uh, I have taken the reins of this uh, wacky adventure of ours, and I have... I have press ganged my co-host from Christmas Creeps, Johnny Five, the human robot, into joining me. John, what's going on, buddy? Hi. I watched a thing and listened to a thing, which is different because normally I just watch a thing. Yeah, this this is a whole different setup we got here. Um, brave but, new world, a brave new world, and such stupid music in it. Uh, but uh, yeah, tonight we are discussing uh, the soundtrack and the film of 1995's Mortal Kombat. This is the 25th anniversary of mortal Kombat, and good lord i'm so old so so old you didn't have to say that number out loud man you just (laughs) just, you didn't have to i but i do that's the thing that's just the thing that's how we mark time that's what we do here i mean everything has to have an anniversary and everything has to have a birthday so like yeah fuck it it's the actually it's closer to the 25th birthday of mortal Kombat 3 than it is the 25th of the of the mortal Kombat movie because the movie didn't come out until August, and the the game or the arcade game Mortal Kombat three came out in April of nineteen ninety five. People who wrote this movie didn't know about that. <laughs> they only barely knew about Mortal Kombat two. Yeah, apparently not. Um, but before we get into any of that, let me just uh, take you through our uh, polls from the last episode, real quick. Uh, so on the last episode, we did nineties uh, soundtrack cover songs, and we asked you to tell us of the ten that we gave you which ones were the best. Uh, in round one, the winner was uh, Tia Carrera's p- cover of Sweet's Ballroom Blitz from the Wayne's World soundtrack, which was, uh, pretty obviously was going to be the winner. Um, second place was Mud Honey covering Elvis Costello's Pump It Up. And uh, TVI and One both got uh, exactly one vote apiece. So thanks a lot, everybody. That's great. The winner of round two was Fiona Apple covering the Beatles across the universe from the Pleasantville soundtrack. And then uh, weirdly tied for second place. We had I'll never fall in love again from the Austin powers, the spy who shagged me soundtrack and time won't let me from the time cop soundtrack, both tied for second place, which is very odd. So then going into the final head to head across the universe versus ballroom blitz and ballroom blitz. Y'all voted was better than across the universe. 75% of y'all said ballroom blitz was the best. And I really cannot argue that. Um, so at the end of this episode, we will be putting up a poll to, for you to tell us what song is the best song off the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. And that's going to be a very interesting uh, thing indeed, because this soundtrack, who boy, let's just dive right into it. It's kind of the best and worst of like mid 90s techno and thrash. John, what are your thoughts? Um. One of the things where you know how Wolf Mother, the reason for their existence is basically because you couldn't get Led Zeppelin to play ball with your licensing. Yeah. This soundtrack just feels like the entire time they're just like, did Trent pick up the phone yet? Did Trent answer? <laughs> yeah, like a lot of this, a couple of the bands in here are could charitably be described as Nine Inch Nails cover bands. And then you've got some groups that really just, they sound like they're just trying to be Megadeth. And then you've got, I mean, uh, let me just. This is basically they got the, the Fear Factory guy on here twice, <laughs> but then you've got all this weird like techno pop, uh, new age bullshit, and it's like what this soundtrack really is. I think is pure moods for dudes. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's a little too harsh to be like 
to be like, yeah, pure moods, but only a little bit. Yeah. Not- There's you can't relax to this music, but you can definitely get a workout in, I guess. It's the kind of workout like you would probably give yourself a heart attack trying to keep up with the beat, but good luck with that. Uh, so, John, I guess real quick, what's your history with Mortal Kombat? Are you a fan? Are you familiar with it? What's what's your feeling uh, on this? The movie or the game or just the franchise just overall? Give me the whole thing, the franchise overall. We're here to talk about Mortal Kombat writ large. Um, in terms of fighting games, because I'm trash with poor taste, Tekken has always been my favorite. Okay. Um, for Mortal Kombat, I did play the original ones back when they were relevant. Um, and I played, I think Deadly Alliance was the one I played on GameCube. Mm. Beyond that, I have no experience with the games. Um, the games take themselves way more seriously than one would expect. I can say that. But that's, that's fighting games for you. Yeah. Like I, like most kids our age, I played the first like two or three pretty religiously just because it was the hot thing and it was very edgy and cool. And then Mortal Kombat went down this weird rap, this weird rabbit hole where it was just not about the fighting games anymore. Like they did that weird, like the Sub Zero mythology, uh, yeah, uh, Shaolin monks and the cartoon yeah. Defenders of the Realm or whatever. Yeah, it was just like this isn't Mortal Kombat anymore, and you're you're trying too hard to like branch out, and it's just not that interesting. Well, it's kind of like the Street Fighter movie where it's okay, you have this game that's about you you pick two people out of the set of eight slash 12 slash 16 and they punch each other until one falls down so now you've basically given me like rambo part two but with john claude van damme almost yeah and then with mortal Kombat, they at least tried to bullshit their way into a story because like if you ever play the arcade games there will they and you win like the game with one of the characters you'll get like a, a full paragraph of like backstory about that character and so, like, yeah. they kind of sort of wrote a little bit. But then with the movie, they pretty much did just take the bones of um, the Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon, and just make that the plot of Mortal Kombat. The problem is that was what the game was already, though. I mean, they they basically took the, the, the couple paragraphs that the game gives you and just filled in some blanks. Yeah. They didn't go too far off the beaten path for that. The, the game was already just trying to be Enter the Dragon. Yeah, so there was they didn't really have a, much of a challenge when they were making this movie. Um, but then the movie, I don't know. The movie's actually kind of interesting. I think it's probably still Paul Anderson's best movie, which considering the career he's had since this is kind of sad. <laughs> like after this, he went on and he did like event horizon, which is interesting enough, but then he made like four or five of the six resident evil movies. And I don't know how you feel about resident evil, but there's, maybe half a good movie in that entire series. Yeah. I've only seen the first one of those. And when I noticed what they were doing with the runs after that, I was just like, uh, no, I'm good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I did a thing a while back where I actually watched the entire series start to finish. And I don't recommend it. People. I really don't. It's the same movie six times. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, but so with mortal Kombat. I think the thing that they did right with this was they really did just focus on the fight scenes because obviously that's what people are coming to for Mortal Com- for in Mortal Kombat was they want to see good fight scenes. They want to see um, some weird sort of sci-fi fantasy thing. And they give that a little bit, but not too much. And there's some really cool creature, actually one really cool creature effect in this movie. It's, uh, I guess it's the... I think it's Stan Winston. Let me look this up real quick. Um, I want to say it's one of the guys on the Ninja Turtles movie because not just from the fact of being New Line Cinema, just it looks so much like Ninja Turtles too. The costume that Goro was wearing. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, I hadn't even thought about that. Like this being a New Line production, but that makes a lot of sense because like in the mid to late '80s and th- through to the '90s, like New Line's New Line kind of made their name in like in like horror, but also like weird. Um, like martial arts cinema, like I, I guess with the Ninja Turtles movies, but also stuff like, um, like every, basically they their whole association with like the Golden Harvest uh, production company who like just did exclusively like martial arts films, and then it all kind of cul- culminates into Mortal Kombat, and yeah, Goro I think was produced by the Stan Winston company. It's like one of their last big puppets I think before everything went full CGI. And like 
actually, like one of the interesting things I noticed in the the in credits uh, when it got to the puppetry department, it just said um, Goro played by Goro. So they're they're cop they're not oh, copying they're to do that bullshit. <laughs> they're not copying to the fact that he was engineered and produced by a team of people. It's just oh no, this is a real life effect. He's he's real. The the prince of the uh, Shokan underworld. He's a real person. He happens to be voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, but he's a real person. Anyway, <laughs> that's who that was. Yeah, it was bugging the hell out of me. It was like I know that voice. Something I can fucking place the name though. It's Kevin Michael Richardson, who I think most people know him. See, I'm going to say most people, and I mean myself, know him as uh, Cleveland Junior on the Cleveland Show. But he's he's a, a voice actor who's done just about everything. Where do I know him from? He's Saravok. That's what I know him from. Mm-hmm. He's he's because Cap- I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> he's Captain Gantu in the Lilo and Stitch movie. He plays the he played the Joker for a little while apparently in one of the Batman cartoon series. Um, he's on The Simpsons. He's on American Dad. He's on just about everything really. So it's not surprising that he, they would get him to voice you know Goro. Um, but then let's jump into the the soundtrack real quick. Um, so before we do that, I have uh, a bunch of notes for the soundtrack. This is billboarding school where I tell you about the billboard stats for these things. Uh, so the Mortal Kombat soundtrack came out August 15th, 1995, hit the charts September 9th, 1995 at number 40. That week, the number one album in America was the soundtrack to Dangerous Minds. It's like, this was like the middle of, um, Gangster's Paradise fever. And then here comes Mortal Kombat. It peaked in its third week at number 10, lasted 46 weeks on the charts. Went pl- Why? <laughs> my, my only um, guess is that it was a hit when it came out, and then when it hit video, it went back up the charts for a while, and it just hung out there for the better part of a year. <laughs> it, it went platinum, won a bunch of like, film and music awards, and wound up like spawning its own uh, sequel, Mortal Kombat, More Kombat, came out in 1996. And as far as I could tell, that album did not chart at all. This album dropped off the charts July 27th, 1996, after 46 weeks. Uh, the number one album that week was Nas's It Was Written. The highest charting soundtrack that week was the soundtrack to The Nutty Professor at number 12. <laughs> This this mid nineties period was that weird era where like nothing made sense and like sure that can be a hit why not the Nutty Professor soundtrack was that where Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody was on that one no that's Doctor Doolittle this, I'm thinking of yeah that's Doctor Doolittle yeah oh god I forgot that was on a soundtrack yeah you're right yeah because if you watch the music video which MTV played like thirty times a day um, back in ninety eight like there were clips of Doctor Doolittle in the middle of Aaliyah dancing around. <laughs> Why? I mean, I guess that's, you know, everything's got to be a hit. The fucking 90s. (laughs) But it gets better because the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. So there's actually two soundtracks we can talk about here. There's the score and then there's the soundtrack. The score was produced by George Clinton, not that George Clinton, George S. Clinton, who was a film composer from the 80s and 90s. Um, did everything from like a ch- couple of Cheech and Chong movies to Mortal Kombat to the entire Austin Powers trilogy and San- the Santa Claus 2 and 3. So this guy does a little bit of everything. But the thing that I thought was inter- most interesting about the score was that the featured guitarist in the score was none other than Buckethead. Yeah. And oh boy, you can tell. You didn't even need to see the credit to know like, oh shit, that's some Buckethead I'm hearing right there. <laughs> And then a couple of those tracks from the score wind up on the soundtrack. So uh, where where should we start with the soundtrack, John? We should start at number 15 because that's where the fucking Mortal Kombat theme is for some reason. <laughs> where you want it, 15 out of 17. Yeah, that's true, 15 out of 17. That's where the movie starts too. Like, you don't even get, like, credits music or, like, any of those stingers, anything. It just jumps straight into, you know, the guy screaming Mortal Kombat. Um, so here, I mean, you all know this song. It's it's Techno Syndrome by the Immortals, aka the Mortal Kombat theme. Okay. 
I really don't know what needs to be said about this song. Well, we know who the Immortals are, right? No, I don't. The Immortals are just Lords of Acid with a different name. I did not know that. Oh, it's not the only surprise in this fucking uh, artist list. Tell me, me. Tell me more. Well, Lords of Acid, you know them, right? They did songs like uh, like I Must Increase My Bust, a bunch of like sex joke songs, basically. Okay. Uh, that that I'm, I don't. I think they have more songs that are dick jokes than songs that aren't. To be honest. <laughs> I so. But, I see. I don't know this band, so you're gonna have to walk me through this. Like, so they're basically Guar, is what I'm guessing. Uh, not really. No, they're uh, they're they're like an EDM group, but they do a lot of like weird, goofy songs. Like, and, 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 people know I must increase my bust. It's a song about wanting bigger tits. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so all the, like it's it's kind of like a you know the song "Help Me, Doctor Dick." Yeah, I know that one. It's kind of in the same ballpark as that. Where it's just like it's real music. It just happens to be real music. Music about fucking, <laughs> and not just not even not, and just not even metaphorically. You know, this song is just like let's fuck. Right, right. And somehow they made it on the they somehow they made it onto an Austin Powers soundtrack, which doesn't surprise me. It's surprising that they made it under their own name, but not that they made it on there. Which one? I, like which Austin Powers soundtrack? Um, they are on the Spy Who Shagged Me. Their song "Am I Sexy" made it on there, which George S. Clinton has on there too like you said so that doesn't really surprise right, me. right yeah so that's that's two, that's two episodes in a row we've mentioned the spy who shagged me soundtrack maybe we should just do that show at some that episode at some point mm. then uh but yeah so we have a, did any of these other songs even make it into the movie oh yeah a bunch like, of like, like, like half that? of these did by my count we have well i mean i don't know how we want to break this down but um Okay, there was a scene that took place in like a techno club in a rave. What song was playing during that? Okay, that was uh, Mother's Day Out playing uh, What You See. Okay. Because that was the one that I... I, Well, let's go ahead and just play a clip from that because it's a little... uh, it, it, It stands out. Let me just go ahead and play a clip. What you see What you see Okay, yeah, so this is the one where the singer is basically trying to rap his way through the lyrics of the song while his band's trying to play it as fast as possibly as they possibly can. And this is in, in the, the nightclub early on. So, like, we're establishing who all the characters are, like Luke Hang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade. Sonya Blade is working for, is like a, uh, she's basically like a SWAT team paramilitary kind of person, and she's after Kano, who murdered her partner, and he's hiding out in this, like, nightclub slash rave slash warehouse place while uh, Mother's Day Out is playing What You See during this, like, giant rave. And we only get a little bit of it, because a lot of what we hear is just sort of generic, like, guitar chugging. And you only hear just a little bit of that song. Like, and that's a lot of the rock stuff in this soundtrack comes out like that. Like you only hear a little bit of it in the distant background. Most of what we hear is techno. But so there's, there's that. And that one, I don't know. I'm kind of into that song more so than some of the other rock songs, just because I can at least understand what the singer is trying to say. Yeah. A lot of the real guttural, like, like, um, like the Napalm Death song, like it's that's just not me. That's yeah. not. I mean, we could basically just work. We could basically just work our way backwards to the soundtrack. Sure, because we're doing it this morning. We're pretty much doing that. So yeah, the yes, we have Napalm Death and Bile. They're kind of interchangeable, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> neither of them stood out. It's just just growling over guitars. Yeah, and I, I those two songs I couldn't actually place anywhere. Apparently, the Napalm Death song is also in that that nightclub scene, but I couldn't place it. So. I'm going to take someone the internet's word for that one. Going backwards, I guess. Yeah. The next really like standout track is Fear Factory's Zero Signal. Yeah, we have, there's some typo negative shows up in there and that's always a treat, but I mean it's it's just typo negative being typo negative though. It doesn't really stand out. I don't think it was in the movie at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. But like the back half of this soundtrack is ba- like it's almost like perfectly split down the middle. The back half is all of the the metal thrash death metal stuff and then the front half is like all your techno music 
which is fine by me. Yeah. Because like I can listen to one half or the other and just be okay with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Fear Factory and Zero Signal. This is in the scene where Johnny Cage fights Scorpion. And, we, and we've kind of given okay, up yeah. on the plot of the movie at this point, this early in the show. The plot is fights. Here, here's, here's the plot. They all go to Outworld. Liu Kang fights some random guy. Sonya Blade fights Kano. Johnny Cage fights Scorpion. Liu Kang fights Sub-Zero. Liu Kang fights Reptile. Johnny Cage fights Goro. Liu Kang fights Shang Tsung. That's, that's the plot. All in service of Liu Kang saving the world by winning fights. That's basically the plot of the movie. And if you're not okay with that, well, think of it like this. The plot of Mortal Kombat is basically the plot of Harry Potter. I mean, what do you want us to say about this movie? The, the, the most well-known name in it is Christopher Lambert in 1995, which is about five years after you should know who Christopher Lambert is. <laughs> yeah. Like, he had, had at this point, he had done three Highlander movies, and he was definitely on his way out. And this was kind of his last big hit, I think. But then, yeah, like... It, his his biggest role was probably Highlander, and he wasn't even the biggest name in Highlander. You know, for a split second, I had to stop myself and go, what, uh, Clancy Brown? And no, no, it's Sean Connery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, Mr. Krabs, is, Spaniard. Mr. Krabs is the most important person, the most important cast member of Highlander, okay? Just let me have that. Uh, but yeah, and then there's Lyndon Ashby as uh, Johnny Cage, who I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything else besides this. He was the third choice to play the role of Johnny Cage. Who were the first two? Brandon Lee, who uh, who was not available for obvious reasons. Yes, and then Jean-Claude Van Damme, who turned it down to be Guile in Street Fighter instead. <laughs> oh, wow. But you know what? I mean... Johnny Cage is already kind of modeled after Jean-Claude Van Damme, so I think I think he might have made the right call because I would rather have like a parody of Van Damme than actual Van Damme. But then Van Damme played a parody of a real American in Street Fighter, so it all kind of evens out. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've heard any of these other people. Well, I, I know uh, Robin Shu, who played Liu Kang, he was also in Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley. And speaking of which, uh, of that type of same type of wheelhouse... Bridget Wilson, who was Sonya Blade, was Veronica Vaughn. Yes, she. I, I don't know the timeline. She had either just done Billy Madison or was about to do Billy Madison. And then, of course, uh, Shang Tsung, the, the villain of the film, is played by uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, who, you know, he was also in, oh God, he's in the Tekken movie. I didn't know that. But he also came back to play Shang Tsung in a video game form in Mortal Kombat 11. That just came out last year. Yeah, this movie had way more impact on the game series than you'd think, because I'm pretty sure the entire reason that Kano became Australian, Kano became Australian because of this movie. He wasn't in the original game Australian, I'm pretty sure. Right. And by that point, like they hadn't even considered like what nationality any of those characters would be, really. So it was just like whatever the actor who wound up playing Kano just turned that character into Australian. It it reminds me of like a circumstance in the Street Fighter movie where um, a- after that movie, because of the way the Ken character pronounces the name Ryu, he calls him Ryu. And so that was the first time any like American had ever heard that name pronounced as far as Street Fighter is yeah. concerned. So for like an entire generation, Ryu was Ryu. And it only like more recently became like they only recently like, I guess, corrected that. Yeah, it's kind of like how in Grand Theft Auto 3, even the character who is her brother, who presumably would know how her name is actually pronounced, and is also a native Japanese speaker, will still call Asuka Asuka instead. (laughs) Just the tiniest little variation, but it's so important. And it it just carries that much weight. Like, it just becomes, you know, bigger than itself. Oh, no, Frank Wilker was the biggest name Mm -hmm. in this movie. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, literally, he does play the he did, literally plays the largest character in this film. Yeah. So there you go. Nibbler. Megatron. Yeah. Apparently, Steven Spielberg was originally going to be in this until he just didn't have the time to. Dear God. Was he going to play fucking Johnny Cage's director? Yes. Be- because that that character is so Steven Spielberg, like it, it can't not be a, a, a direct parody of him. Yeah, it was originally supposed to be Spielberg until Spielberg backed out because he didn't have the time to do it. So they got Sandy Helberg instead. So he didn't have the time, which I feel like is a lie for him saying, I don't want to. 
I feel like Spielberg yeah, wouldn't have actually it's done It's like that. he agreed to it. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll show up. And like, he's like, wait, I'm showing up for what? Oh, um, yeah, scheduling conflicts. Yeah, can't do that anymore. Sorry, guys. But then he actually did do that in Austin Powers 3. So whatever. I guess they had more money to play with. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the cast of Mortal Kombat. There you go. But uh, getting back to the soundtrack here, so let's let's take a quick listen to Fear Factory's Zero Signal. Okay, this one is like uh, a pure like thrash mile a minute kind of headache. Yes, yeah, like one of those things like, yeah, that's Fear Factory, all <laughs> that right. That sure is some Fear Factory. But it's, it scores the scene where Johnny Cage is fighting Scorpion, and Scorpion has, like, sucked him into this weird nether realm where they're having a fight on old bamboo, like, uh, scaffolding, and skulls are everywhere, and fire is everywhere, and it's just a fucking mess. It's horrifying. And this music makes it so, so tense. I love it. Yeah, and for whatever reason, Scorpion's Claw is actually one of the uh, sandworms from Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's okay. That's something I want to talk about too, because like his, this is the only thing I know of where his claws are alive. Like in every other Mortal Kombat iteration, they're either ropes or chains. Yeah, but here it's like little worms that like fly out of his wrist. I guess because they thought that would be cool. And honestly, when you're talking about Mortal Kombat, that's all the excuse you need. I mean, I think at this point that they already had the CGI to do reptiles, so they're like, mm, why not? We already, we already bought the computer. <laughs> we already bought that Mac Tower. We might as well use it. I don't remember where I saw it, but I saw a behind-the-scenes thing for this movie once showing the fight with Reptile, and neither uh, Ramachu nor Paul Anderson had any idea what they were going to make Reptile look like when they filmed that scene where he was, like, fighting with a little CGI Reptile. Oh, yeah. Like this, this is pre Andy Circus. We didn't we didn't have a weird guy in a tennis ball suit back then. So it was just Robin Shu just fighting with nothing. <laughs> and the and the reptile in this is just like it's basically CGI taffy. It's nothing. I don't know. This was at, in that era where they were starting to play with putting CGI characters and things. Like the T one thousand in Terminator Two was pretty good looking because all he had to look like was a bunch of walking mercury, and then. Between that and this, I don't think there was much of anything, was there? Did Lawnmower Man have a bunch of fucking CGI in it? That seems like a movie that would. That sounds that sounds true. Like that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the the best part of this this sequence here is the end where we get basically Scorpion trying to pull off a fatality and ripping his face off to show off that skull, which in night in two thousand twenty looks extremely silly. Yeah. <laughs> And he starts breathing fire and shit. And then, you know, Johnny Cage swipes at him with a, a bladed uh, shield. And he fucking, he just explodes in a explosion of like blood yeah. and guts and fire and, and awfulness. It, it, it's a thing that probably bugged me back when I was 11 watching this of just like, this is a movie about punch sport. Why are so many people throwing around swords and bladed shields and all of this shit? Yeah. And, and the only answer I can come up with is like, well, how do you defeat Scorpion in a live action film? <laughs> like you have all these dudes, like especially all these like random mooks. Well, probably just because they're mooks running up with like these like they got like a what do you call them? Like the pole axes and stuff like that. Yeah. Like just whatever random fucking like weapons you would have. Scimitars and halberds and all kinds of weird swords and shit. Yeah. yeah. Nobody gets nobody really gets run through with anything until like the very very end of the film. <laughs> But yeah, the the Fear Factory song like it scores the scene well, but um, we don't hear like any lyrics in the in the the movie scene. We don't get a whole lot of it. It's just enough of the song to kind of give you the the feeling of dread that Johnny Cage feels in this scene. Yeah. Um, and then let's see what else we got. Well, we skipped over Sister Machine Gun song, but whatever. Uh, next, we have Geezer Butler of all fucking people. Tell me about Geezer Butler. Guy from Black Sabbath. Yeah, I, I know that, but tell me about him. <laughs> I know who he is. Uh, he had a side project called GZR for a while, and this song ha it has the Fear Factory guy on again, and you could tell it's the fucking Fear Factory guy because it just sounds like a this sounds like one of their songs. Yeah, so here is the Invisible by GZR.
Now, looking at the soundtrack here, I actually see that GZR is stylized G slash slash Z slash R. So it makes a whole lot of yep. sense when you say that's Geezer Butler. That's just a dumb stylization to me. Which, of course, because he's British, Geezer himself for the band as GZR. GZR. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. This might be either my favorite or second favorite soundtrack on the song on the soundtrack to be honest this is a pretty good one i think and this one doesn't even appear like in it, the film i don't think like I, I i can't really say why it is personally that i'm like no the fear factory is garbage but the fear factory guy side project no that's good <laughs> i wrote in my notes that this lands somewhere between biohazard and helmet which might be the most 90s thing i've ever said on this show because it's just you know, two like sludge metal acts that no one really cares about or remembers. And let's put them in a blender. And also, hey, Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath is here too. So have a song. <laughs> but yeah, this does not appear in the soundtrack or on the film rather. And I'm surprised by that. But uh, so we're going to skip ahead a bit because there are, for some reason, two different uh, remixes or versions of the Mortal Kombat theme. And the one by Utah Saints plays over the end credits, so we're going to skip over that. But we're going to go on to a song called Halcyon and On and On by, the, by Orbital, which plays at the very end of the film. So let's go to a clip of that. So when I said this was pure moods for dudes, I was basically thinking of this song. Yeah, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I got to about four minutes in this song and just started hitting like the skip through button. So I'm like, okay, I get the point. Yeah, because this song is nine and a half minutes of dance beats and uh, ladies singing very low in the mix. And it's kind of soothing and it's kind of, um, I don't know. It's, it's extremely, extremely 90s. But this is the song that plays after Liu Kang has defeated Shang Tsung and they've they've all decided to go home and everyone is happy because we've saved the world. This is the song that plays to signify that they've saved the world. I mean, this is the kind of song that Renata Bliss, your freestyle dance instructor, is going to dance over. <laughs> that's, that's all that's all it comes down. To. It's just it's just it's garbage. <laughs> I, I, I'm being a little harsh, but only a little bit. Like it's just kind of like it's it's a it's a nothing of a song. It, it I mean, kind of yes, but this is exactly the kind of thing I would put on in the background just to forget that I was playing music. I'll say it that way. <laughs> like I would, yeah. It's like the it's the kind of thing you would put on in your Twitch stream so that they wouldn't like uh, uh, mute your uh, mute your audio later in the VOD for uh, copyright reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how many different ways can we make fun of the song? This is music to this is music to forget the sound of music to. This is <laughs> this is music to buy music on TV from. This is yeah, I feel I feel a little bad about being as harsh to the song as I am, but only a little bit. This this song is it drags on for 9 minutes cuz it's like a remix of a remix apparently. Yeah. And it's not there's not really much variation in it. It's very almost just very ambient it's extremely ambient yeah and i'm honestly i don't hate this song uh, this is actually one of the ones i prefer mostly because i i just hate that it's nine and a half minutes long. i hate that yeah i hate that it's so long but i don't mind it in when it's mixed in with all this other like stuff like fear factory and typo negative and napalm death like i i kind of prefer this to that i guess I prefer this sound yeah. to that sound, which is strange because I'm the guy who unironically thinks that the best album of all time is Megadeth's Rest in Peace. Having said that, I do prefer this. Yeah, this album is overall is just about 25 minutes too long. Mm -hmm. you, like, yeah, you can cut two or three minutes from each of these songs and be just fine. Um, but moving on, so track number five is called Control, and it's by Tracy Lords, who I'm assuming is that, that Tracy, Tracy Lords. Lords. Yes. It is that Tracy Lords. But this isn't like the original version of that song. This is an instrumental remixed by Juno Reactor. Uh, because there is no there is no Tracy Lords in this song at all. Yeah, and I would say this everything we said about the last song 
apply to this one. Just it's only six minutes long instead of nine minutes long. But again, it's a lot of the lack of vocals. It's supposed to be a backing track. Like it's supposed to have vocals on it. You can tell that there's supposed to be vocals because it's very. Do you ever play the original Guitar Hero where they had Spanish Castle Magic but didn't have any lyrics? Yes. So you're just kind of like, okay, this is very repetitive. Like, what's going on? And if you don't know the don't know the song, you're just like, well, that was nothing. Yeah, like that was a strange experience because I knew the song and I was like, what is this? But yeah, you can tell there's like dead space in this song, and it, this one also runs on for like six and a half minutes. So there's got to be something else going on here. But yeah, this is like a remix that took out all of the Tracy Lords. But still, they credited Tracy Lords. I don't get it. But yeah, so let's go ahead and play this version of Control. And this song plays as Liu Kang and Johnny Cage have have entered Outworld to chase Shang Tsung because he has kidnapped Sonya Blade. Everything about this, everything about the plot of this movie sounds fucking ridiculous, and I'm sorry. But uh, so Johnny Cage and Liu Kang are in Outworld, and they discover that Reptile has been has been tracking them. This is the song that plays as Liu Kang has his fight scene with Reptile. And this is where a lot of like the awful wire foo uh, fight sequencing stuff comes into play because like there's awkward flipping going on. There's like Liu Kang does his bicycle kick and it looks kind of awful. And then yeah, Reptile like somersaults backwards out or out the the hole in the wall that he made by kicking Liu Kang through it. Yeah, like uh, it's a he kicks Liu Kang through a brick wall that is like six bricks deep. Liu Kang should be dead. Yeah, this movie has a very bad problem, which even mid-fight, they can't decide, okay, is this some really realistic visceral shit where you take one punch to the stomach and you're hurting, or is this a video game? Right. They they can't decide. It 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 vacillates even, even mid-fight. Yeah, like, this is a movie where Kano can kick Sonya in the stomach in slow motion, and you can see that it's fucking devastating. And then, like, an hour later, Liu Kang can get thrown through a six-foot brick wall and be fine. It's... Oh, he is the chosen one. He is the, he is the chosen one. I guess that's all you need, really. But it's the fight between Art and Goro really comes to mind. Because, like, Goro sits there punching Art in the stomach several times. And then Goro hits him once, and they're just like, No, Art! Oh, no, Art! Oh. It's, it's like, maybe you shouldn't have decided to fight Goro if you can't, if you can only take one hit, dude. Yeah, really. One thing I will say for this soundtrack is that, like, every song that appears during a fight sequence is, like, is very different from one another. So, like, when you hear this song, you know this is the Liu Kang reptile fight song. When you hear Zero Signal, you know, oh, that's Johnny Cage and Scorpion. And then, um, so with that said, let's go ahead and move up the list of uh, songs here uh, to number four. John, you said you, you said to me off podcast that you had some words about Psychosonic. So tell me about Unlearn and Psychosonic. Oh, well, it's just the fact that uh, Psychosonic had in a guy named uh, Theodore Beale. And that should set off a red flag to just about anybody. Because Theodore Beale is a is, uh, known Nazi Vox Day. Okay, I don't know any of that. <laughs> uh, Vox Day is a guy who's a Nazi on the internet. Okay. Um, he is the guy who fucked up the Hugo Awards a few years ago. Oh, that sad, guy. Okay. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah, that okay. guy. Anyway, before he did sci-fi shit, he did video game shit. And before he did video game shit, he did music shit. And he was in Psychosonic. Oh, okay. I mean, what can we say about the song as, other than it's made by a terrible asshole? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you about this yeah. song. This is basically Nintendo 64, like, menu music. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with that. <laughs> like this is like I'm, I'm listening to it now, and this is the kind of thing like you boot up like 1080 snowboarding, and this is the song that plays while you're trying to choose your snowboarder. And a lot of mid 90s like video game music sounds exactly like this. And I know I've harped on that on this podcast before, but it's so true. And the more I hear it, and the more it comes up, it just reinforces what I already feel that like the video game industry yeah. like st- basically ate the techno music industry's lunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, hey, why don't we move on to what is actually the best song on the soundtrack? 
Yes. Um, because coming up next, so we said earlier that each song that appears in a fight scene is distinct, and each one calls to mind that fight scene. And I think no more, no song t- like typifies that more than KMFDM's Juke Joint Jezebel. So here's a clip from that. This song is so fucking cool. Yeah, which is really funny because the KMFDM guy doesn't like it. Really? Yeah. Uh, Sasha, he thought the song fucking sucked. He didn't want to be on the album. And when he did the Greatest Hits, he left it off the Greatest Hits album. Wow. Talk about like hating your, your greatest hit. But I would I would wager a guess that they don't play this very often. I, I would guess not, no. Now, I, I also do know that this song appears on the soundtrack to Bad Boys, of all things. So they must not have hated the song that much to make, you know two times the paycheck from it but i don't know something about this song it, it kind of it kind of marries the two sides of the album to me like it's you, you get that techno flavor and you get that sort of thrash flavor and then you've got in the in between this really strange sort of chorus singing the song and it's just very appealing to me it's everything that i like about weird music <laughs> it's the song that i remembered like when i first heard this album you know, 20 some years ago, this was the song that like made me pick this up on cassette and hearing it again is like, Oh God, that's, there's so many memories tied up in the song of just like being 12 years old and watching mortal Kombat. Oh God. I'm having, yeah. I don't think we quite mentioned where is this in the movie? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, this is the, uh, I think second or third fight in the entire film, uh, where Sonya finally gets to go up against Kano Yes. And this is a brutal little fight because the hits just, they hurt. Like they, they're, they hit in like the slow motion hits that I talked about earlier. Like you can tell there's a history between these two characters and how she really just hates his guts and he's just toying with her. And it's a really like well choreographed fight scene, I think. And the song kind of underscores just how sick and kind of sexual the whole thing is yeah especially the end where she like gets his head between her legs and just snaps his neck except like you pointed out she snaps his neck with her her uh shins and not her thighs which seems very hard to do it was like they it was like they, like, they start filming the scene they're just like no no move his head down a little bit uh shannon tweeds on the phone uh she sounds mad <laughs> which actually i gotta I have a better um explanation for that this is a pg-13 film Believe it or not. Yeah. That, that's it. So I, I have a feeling somebody in the production said, oh no, that that looks too um, that looks too um, suggestive. Let's put his let's put his head down near where her feet, I guess. Yeah. Give him a little give her a little bit of dignity as she fucking murders him. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, this is a great song. I this is the one that I've kind of pulled off of the soundtrack and put into my playlist. And then uh last but not least, we've got uh let's see here. Oh god. Okay. So <laughs> we've got Gravity Kills uh with Goodbye, the demo version apparently, which plays over the end credits. So here's here's a little bit of Gravity Kills everybody. Now, John, what were you saying earlier about, like, trying to get Trent Reznor on the phone? Yeah, just. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to say any more. I mean, yeah, this Gravity Kills wants so badly to be Nine Inch Nails that it's kind of funny. And honestly, like, this is, I think this is, like, the only one or two Gravity Kills songs I've ever even heard in my life. And the other is a really weird cover of Depeche Mode's Personal Jesus. And this song itself is not that bad either. It's actually all right. 
Um, yeah, but it's just it is just so much of like oh, I wish I was listening to Nine Inch Nails instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's like this kind of song. There's really no place for it in the film, so I get why they put it over the end credits. But hey, let's talk about the end credits real quick because um, there are four songs featured over the end credits. So we've got this song. Yeah. Or actually, I stopped watching the movie when the uh, credits started, and there were still like 15 minutes left of runtime. Yeah, there's a ton of credits. So we've got uh, Techno Syndrome, the Mortal Kombat theme, uh, Goodbye, this song, Goro versus Art, which is the score piece that plays when Art gets his ass kicked by Goro. And then the Mortal Kombat theme uh, performed by Utah Saints, which is odd because that version of the Mortal Kombat theme does something that we've harped on a lot on the show and that I hate is when they take sound clips from the song or from the movie and like edit them into the song. Oh, gross. Yeah, it's it's cheesy and very stupid, and I kind of hate it. But, uh, yeah, that's that's all we got for Mortal Kombat here. I mean, there's there's uh, a couple of songs we didn't really get to. Uh, Bile by I Reject. Blood and Fire by Typo Negative. Sister Machine Gun doing Burn. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me. Bile performing I Reject. But, uh, you know, this... A lot, there's, there's a lot of filler, and there's a couple of really killer tracks on this. But for the most part, uh, I, I'm i still kind of into this album. I, I enjoy it overall, but I'm not in any hurry to listen to any individual song aside from, you know, um, KMFDM or maybe uh, Fear Factory. John, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is one of those albums where you're going to pick it up because you recognize one or two of the artist names on it, and the rest of it is designed to be inoffensive enough that you won't turn it off. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, the, one of the things that I think is interesting here is that there are so many songs that are in the movie, apparently, according to the end credits, but they're not on the soundtrack. And I'm talking about um, there's three Stabbing Westward songs that are listed in the credits that are not in the soundtrack or that I could tell in the film at all. And I'm not sure why those were included, but I, in, in doing my research in, in reading about this soundtrack, I found a New York times article from 1996 um, called record labels are forcing their music on the film industry. And it basically posits that uh, Paul Anderson didn't actually give a shit about stabbing Westward. It was the fact that the record label insisted on putting three stabbing Westward songs in the film. Yeah, and this was about like four years before anyone even knew who the fuck Stabbing Westward were. I mean, to be to be fair, I still don't know who they are. The only song I've ever heard of theirs on the radio is Save Yourself, and that came out in like 98 or 99. Yeah, the only other song of theirs that I know is... Um, oh, Haunting Me, but again, same period, 98 or 99. I think it's called Violent Mood Swings. It's on the Clerks soundtrack. Yeah, that's one of, that's one of their first songs, but I guess you've heard of them more than I have then. <laughs> I've only heard of anything off of Darkest Days, basically. I mean, those are the only that's the only song of those I actually know that I know. And the fact that there's three listed in this film's, you know, in credits, it's a mystery to me. It really is. But then this album was successful enough that it spawned its own sequel called More Combat. We talked about that a minute ago. There was a soundtrack to the video game, Mortal Kombat the Album. There was the soundtrack album for the movie. There was the score album for the movie. There was the sequel album to the soundtrack album. And then there was the soundtrack to Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which I doubt we will ever get to anytime soon because the less said about Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah. Because as silly and goofy as this movie is, and rest assured, it, it very much is, Annihilation is ten times worse in every conceivable way. And that's something you have to find out the hard way. Because, like, I had heard for years how bad Mortal Kombat Annihilation was. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I just won't ever watch it. And then one day I did because I was laid up at home with, like, walking pneumonia. Couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't do anything. Whacked up on cough medicine and said, hey, what the hell? We'll put on Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I thought I was going crazy. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. So what we're saying is, hey, everyone in uh, New York, uh, Illinois, California, watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah. Hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. You're probably really high out of your mind on cough medicine anyway. Why not check out Mortal Kombat Annihilation is what we're saying. 
but don't do that. Like this is a public service announcement to you. Don't do that. <laughs> We're under enough pressure as, as as it is right now. Um, not not even not even half the people in Mortal Kombat bother could bother to watch Mortal even be in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Let them watch it. Yeah, because like it isn't. Isn't Sonia Sandra Hess now? Uh, Raiden is James Remar now. Um, Johnny Cage is Chris Conrad now. Tony Jaw is in it too as, a, as an uncredited stunt double. That's probably the biggest indignity. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere, you know. But wow, yeah. So let me actually let me dig up that soundtrack real quick because I just want to. I'm curious. So the Mortal Kombat Annihilation soundtrack has okay. It features. In no particular... To be, honest, it's, to be honest, it's a better soundtrack. <laughs> oh, man. So we got Ramstein, we got KMFDM, we got Megadeth, we got uh, more Psychosonic, we got more Juno Reactor, um, more George Clinton and Buckethead, The Future Sound of London, Lunatic Calm, Face to Face, Man Break, uh, Scooter, Pitch Shifter. This might actually be a better album. I don't know. Yeah. I take back everything that I just said. Libby, if you're listening out there, I'm sorry, but we are going to cover this album at some point. That's the end of the show, everybody. <laughs> I think I just called my shot, and I think I'm going to have to pay for it. Ugh. So, yeah, that's going to cover it for Mortal Kombat tonight. If you uh, have any questions or comments, you can send those to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us at ostparty, or you can tweet at me any angry comments about this episode at Cordial Wombat. I'll be on Twitter. Um, Libby will be back next time and we'll talk about something hopefully it'll be Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion I actually did my research and did took my notes for that and then she dipped out and said you're on your own <laughs> uh, so stick around for that and we will have the poll for this episode up um, in a day or two following this episode's release so we will see y'all on the other side of uh, April I guess uh, so for OST Party I'm Joseph Wade I am Johnny Five, the human robot. Buy the ticket. Test your might. <laughs>